Hey, welcome to another exciting podcast from Freedom House Church. My name is Troy Maxwell. I'm the senior pastor of our church. We are one church that meets in multiple locations, which means we have different communicators at all of our different locations. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from one of our teaching teams. I know that it will bless you. You will walk away changed. So enjoy this message. Hello, Freedom House. It is good to be with you guys today. How many of you want to see my dance moves? You want to see them? You come on. You got to pull it out of me. Come on. Come on. Come on. You got to pull it out of me. I definitely need to introduce myself because if y'all want to see me dance, you do not know me at all. Okay? Uh, My name is Olin Carter. I serve on our teaching team here at Freedom House, and it is a great honor for me to do that. Um, I want to give a little uh, honor to our pastors, our senior pastors, Troy and Penny. Give it up for them real quick. Um, I love that they make it possible for us to have a live communicator at each and every campus. And I love it that we have a teaching team because we get to hear a different perspective on each topic and each scripture. I think that just brings something rich and something full to to each series that we have. So it's a great pleasure to do that. Um, I want to welcome those that are joining us online. We're so happy that you're with us today as well. And in fact, we have people joining us in North Carolina, Georgia, Illinois, New York, Indiana, Tennessee, Nigeria, and China. You guys give it up for them. We are so happy you're with us. And before we get into the message today, each and every uh, series that we do, we have a resource that we want to put in your hands. And I want to make it real clear to you, the church doesn't do this to raise money or make money. Any, Any proceeds we do make from this goes into missions The goal of our Salt Resource Center out there is to resource you. We want you to read books. We want you to get great resources in your hands. And so each series, we like to highlight one to kind of draw your attention to it. And uh, for the next month, we're going to be doing this one, The Perfect You, um, by Dr. Caroline Leaf. Um, She's been here before at one of our conferences. Um, She's a neuroscientist. And this is about discovering your identity discovering what makes you tick. And it's been endorsed by a few people y'all probably never heard of, Joyce Myers, Bishop T.D. Jakes. So probably a pretty good book, so you should check that out. And uh, it's out there in our Salt Resource Center. So um, it is great to be with you today. We're talking about a new series, Anthropology. Everybody say Anthropology. Anthropology. Oh, that's a mouthful, isn't it? What is Anthropology? If, if you're like me, I'm, I, you know, I'm not that bright. I, didn't, you know, I don't have a Ph.D. or anything. I had to look that up. Like, what is Anthropology. It is the study or the science of human beings. And so what we're talking about in this series is really understanding what makes us tick. And how many of you know, I need some of that, amen? I need to know what makes me tick. Really, what we all really want to know is what's wrong with everybody else, right? That's really one. Maybe we'll learn a little bit about that too. But I think what's important is understanding what makes us tick as people. And, um, you know, one of the most... um, Horrible things in life, I think, is to be misunderstood. We all want people to hear us. We all want people to understand us. And I think one of the most horrible things in life is to be misunderstood. Our world today, you know, it's gotten so divided, right? Everybody's at everybody's throat. I mean, just there's so much division. And I think that illustrates an important truth. And that's that typically as human beings, we don't understand each other very well at all, do we? You know, we, we just don't, we don't see eye to eye. Sometimes we don't understand what makes us tick. Have you ever watched a, a great drama, a great movie where the characters, maybe the central characters, they really love each other. They really care about each other deeply, but they just can't seem to get together. They're at odds. They're fighting. 
and you're watching the show. I know this happens to me sometimes. I'm watching the movie or I'm watching the show, and I'm like, it's so obvious, the problem. If you would quit being a knucklehead and you would just say, I'm sorry, just say, I love you, and it would be over, right? It's so easy, and for me, it's really frustrating because my personality type, if you've ever taken a Myers-Briggs, one of those personality profiles, I'm an ENFJ, and in the, the little, they give you a little icon, like a little title. Mine's the diplomat. And so I don't know if it's my special gift in life or, or my special curse, but I'm the mediator. Anytime everybody's mad at each other, Olin's always in the middle of it. I'm always trying to calm everybody down. No, 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 no. She didn't really mean that. No, no, calm down. He didn't say it like that. I'm the one always in the middle trying to keep everybody happy. And so, you know, when I watch a show like that, that just frustrates me because it's so obvious. Maybe you've had some relationships, or maybe you've had some friends, a couple, something like that, and they're just fighting. And isn't it obvious to you? Isn't it easy to fix everyone else's problems? I mean, when you're on the outside looking in, it's so clear what the problem is. But when it's me, when it's my marriage, when it's my friendship, when it's my boss, when it's my coworker, it gets complicated real quick, doesn't it? It manages to go from here to there. Our emotions get involved. And next thing we know, man, it is really, really complex. I was thinking about this in my personal life. You know, sometimes me and my wife, we just have a hard time communicating. I'm pretty certain it's all her fault. But I could be wrong. It's open to debate. But every once in a while, I will call her on the phone after work. And it's after a long, hard day's work. I'm driving home or whatever. And I'll call her. With the simplest question in the world, um, y'all help me out here if I'm wrong. I mean, I, I think this is pretty easy. Um, and, and it's just a simple question. It's like, honey, what are you thinking about for dinner? Or it could be something really benign like, honey, would you like me to pick up dinner? I mean, it could be simple, right? I mean, that's a, it, can I, yes, can I get an amen? That's a simple question. And somehow my wife interprets that question as, Honey, I would like to have a 45-minute discussion about every detail that happened in your day today. And I'm just baffled. I don't understand. And then she's mad at me, and I'm mad at her. And, and we just, we don't understand each other sometimes. We were, we were talking about this the other day, and I said, do you mind if I share this a little bit in my message? And she said, no, it's fine. And um, she said, do I really do that? And my son, who's sitting at the kitchen table, he gets this smile. She looks at him, you know, and he had this smile on his face, and he went, Sometimes, like that. <laughs> he didn't want to get in trouble. But you know, as much as she frustrates me, I, I must confess, I think I frustrate her ten times more. She claims, claims, that, that I don't listen. And anybody that knows me knows there's no way. Um, so she'll tell me about an event, an appointment, uh, maybe something with our children that she has to do. And she only tells me seven, nine times. I mean, it's not like she's, you know, told me a lot. And then she'll go to walk out the door, and innocently, just out of care and concern, I ask, honey, where are you going? And I get, you know, the stare you get, guys, you know, amen. You get the, you know, this. And, and so sometimes we don't understand each other very well at all, um, we were talking about that example, I was like, I don't do that. I listen to you and my daughter just go, she chimes in, you know, daddy, you don't listen. 
I think our kids know us best, don't they? I think sometimes our kids maybe know us the best of all. But you know, we all want to be heard and understood. We all want to be heard and understood. Stephen Covey in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he says that the greatest need of the human heart is to be understood. The greatest need of the human heart is to be understood. Is there anything more deeply satisfying than for someone to know you intimately, to know your faults, to know your past, to know your weaknesses, to know your failures, but still love you? Is there anything more satisfying than that? Isn't that, we, isn't that what we all really want inside? Is we want someone to understand us. And I believe the reason that people live frustrated lives is because we often are looking for other people to understand us and to accept us. And when they don't, we have a struggle living with any peace or joy in our life. We're looking around us for people to understand us. I was thinking of a story of this in my own personal life, and I've shared portions before of my testimony with my father when I was younger. He um, had a struggle with alcoholism, and our relationship was really rough when I was a teenager. And uh, there was this one time in particular that I remembered to kind of illustrate the, the, the real pain we have as people when we don't connect and we don't understand ourselves or we don't understand each other. And I had had some car trouble. Something broke. It was something really minor. I mean, it was the repair was less than $100. And my dad, because I didn't have the money, he helped me out and he paid for the repair. And one night, he's cooking, he's in the kitchen. My mom was in the living room. I'll never forget it. I was sitting in the back of the room on the sofa. And uh, he's in the kitchen and, and we're just sitting there talking. And he comes out and he makes some remark to me, really um, just a jab. And he, he kind of says something to the effect of, you know, you're, you know, you're you good for nothing. You're never going to pay me back for fixing your car. And... At that moment, most of the time, I was terrified of my, my dad to, like, talk back because my dad was old school. He would karate chop you right in the throat. I mean, it was, he didn't play. So it was like, I, I usually would just, like, whatever. But have you ever just been in that situation where the switch just gets flipped? And you're like, you know what? I might not win this fight, but by God, I'm up for it. Like, you want to go? Let's go, you know? And... It just hit me so wrong and it hurt me so much that I jumped up off the couch and I'm yelling back at him and I'm saying, you know, forgive me for once in my life thinking you would want to be a father to me, that you would actually care enough to help me out as your son. Forgive me. I'll pay you back the stupid money, you know, and I'm just going off. I'm thinking at any moment, you know, he's like Chuck Norris going to come flying out of the kitchen, you know, and like drop kick me. Um, I'm, I'm braced, you know. And instead, he comes out with tears coming down his face. And my dad didn't do that. And I'm like, you know, me and my mom are both like shocked. And he's yelling back. He's like, you don't want me in your life. You, you and your mama go, you have your church and everything's perfect. I have your little life and I'm not a part of it. I'm not good enough to be a part of your life. Y'all cut me off years ago. And it hit us in that moment. Man, that's, what? He didn't understand us. We didn't understand him. There was this divide that didn't even need to be there. And we start crying. I mean, we're telling him, that. no, that's not the case at all. We love you. We just want you to be a part of our life. And I believe it was that night 
that our relationship begin to be restored because we found some understanding. You know, sometimes in our lives, we don't connect with other people because a lot of times we don't understand ourselves. We don't understand ourselves. And so anthropology is the study of humans. So I thought, you know, the best pathway to understand ourselves and others is really learning from the one who made us. If you're going to study man, you have to start with God. Because he designed us, he made us. The truth is that he knows us better than we know ourselves. And so we're going to read today in Psalms chapter 139. And we're going to read through most of this chapter today. I wish we had time to cover every single verse. We're going to get through most of it. But this is a powerful chapter about how God is the one who really knows us. God is the one who really knows us. So starting in verse 1, David says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You have searched me. It's active. God doesn't know you like you know a shirt that's hanging in your closet. God knows you personally. He knows you actively. He's searching you. He's watching you. He's involved in your life. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. God knows our thoughts better than we know ourselves. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways, good, bad, and ugly. Amen? Amen. Before a word is on my tongue, this little guy that gets us into so much trouble, you, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. The truth is, God knows everything about you. God knows everything about you. God has searched you. I want to ask you today, how much time have you spent searching your own heart? Sometimes we spend more time planning our vacation than we do searching our heart. Planning our future, thinking about the things that really should matter most in our life. This is a big key. This is a big key. If we want to understand others, we have to first understand ourselves. We have to understand ourselves. You see, we strive to impress people we don't even like. Most of us, and truth be known, most of us sitting in this room right now, most of us in this room have no idea what we really want. You don't. You think you do. I think I do. We're all busy as we can be pursuing stuff. We're running as hard as we can run. But do we really know what's going to fill our heart with joy and peace? Do we really know? I read a story the other day, a little short story about a pilot. And this pilot, he was flying over the Appalachian Mountains. And every time he would fly over this one part of the mountains, he would kind of look down and reminisce. And one day, the co-pilot asked him, he said, Hey, man, every time we fly over this one section of the mountains, you, you kind of look down. Look kind of like you're thinking about something. He said, What's up? And he said, Well, he said, You see, when I was a, a little boy, I used to fish in a stream down there. And he said, When I was a little boy and I would fish in that stream, all I would do is dream about one day being a pilot and being up here. And he said, But now I'm up here. 
And all I can do is dream about being back down there in that stream. Isn't that what we do? We think we know what we want. We, we spend years wanting nothing more than marriage and family. We find that one person and we're like, i got to have them. They're the one. They, they complete me. And then five years later, we're divorced. We spend a lifetime climbing the corporate ladder. For what? To retire with the gold watch? And then regret everything we gave up to attain that success. Isn't that what we do in our lives? You see, one of the biggest keys in life to living, and listen to this, if you want to live a life of joy, you want to live a life of peace, you want to live a life of fulfillment, here's one of the big keys. It's not getting what you want. It's wanting what you've got. You've got to learn to allow God to bring contentment right where you are. You've got to find peace and purpose in who you are, not what you do, not what you have. That's what this psalm is all about. I want to ask you a question today, and this is, this is one I want you to really think about. What are you pursuing right now? What is your life all about? What do you dream about? What do you talk about? What do you talk about with your friends? What do you talk about with your spouse? If we went and we looked at your internet search, what would it be? Would it be Auto Trader? Would it be that new car? Would it be the job hunting site? And, that, and those things, there's nothing wrong with having a nice car. There's nothing wrong with wanting to better yourself and get a better job. That's fine. But is that all? Is that what your life is about? What do you want to define you as a person? Do you even know? And here's a tougher question, as if that wasn't tough enough, right? If you get that thing, whatever it is, whatever that thing looks like for you, if you laid claim to it, if you had it in your hand, what's next? What would you do with it? What would it matter if you actually attained that thing? What happens when you get it? Too many times we get it, we put our hand on it, and then it's like sand. We're like, that's all it was? And then what do we do? We're on to the next thing. That's how human beings work. That's how we tick. And I'm going to tell you this morning why. There's a core reason why, and we're going to get to that this morning. You see, nothing we achieve will bring us lasting satisfaction because we always need more. And see, here's the lie. Here's one of the lies that the enemy tries to put in our mind. And he, he uses this over and over and over again. And it's really crazy that we keep falling for it because he uses it on us over and over and over. But I can tell you in my own personal life, I have fallen for this one a million times. But he will lie to us and tell us, if you just had X, everything would be better. If you just had this relationship, life would be better. If you just fixed this problem, everything would be okay. If you could just have it all. We think if we could have everything, if we could just have it all, everything would be good. But that's a lie. And there's an example in Scripture Pastor Troy, if you were here last week, actually talked about it. It was a man named King David. King David had it all. He was a little shepherd boy. He had nothing, and God gave him the kingdom. He had 
Israel, Judah, he had the armies, he had the fame. They sung songs about David. Man, he had wives, he had, he had servants, he had gold and silver. David had everything. And what did he do? He lusted after another man's wife. He took her, and then he had that man killed. God sends the prophet Nathan to him to tell him a little story. And the story goes something like this. He said, hey, King David, I want to tell you about a man in your kingdom. David said, okay, tell me. And he said, well, there are actually two men in this town, and one was rich, one was poor. The rich man had everything. I mean, he had sheep and goats and herds and servants. I mean, he was rich. He had it all. But there was a poor man, and he had nothing. Nothing except this one little lamb. Just one and he would, he would cradle it like his own daughter, and he cared for it. It was all he had. It was his whole world. And the rich man had a, a guest come into town, and king, instead of taking one of his many, many, many flocks and killing and preparing a meal and eating it, what he did was he went and he took from the poor man, and he killed it, and he ate that instead. And he said, King, what should happen to this man? And the king, furious, said... This man should die. Bring this man to me. He's going to pay him back four times. Any man that would do this and have no pity, he had everything and he takes from this poor man that had nothing. Bring him to me. I'm going to put him to death. And Nathan the prophet looks at the king and he says, Oh king, you are that man. And I'm here to tell you today, you are that man. I am that man. Because God has given us so much and sometimes all we do is look for more. God told Nathan, or David through the prophet Nathan, he said, David, I've given you kingdoms, I've given you chariots, I've given you armies, I've given you wives, I've given you gold. And listen, God said, and if that had not been enough, I would have given you more. But what did David do? He had to look for the next thing. He had to have something that didn't belong to him. Psalms 139. We're going to continue in verse 7. It says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? You see, here's the thing. We're all guilty of this. We all do it. And sometimes when we have sin enter into our lives, our first instinct is not to run to God. Our first instinct is to run from God. David says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Because once we get a revelation that God knows everything about me, He knows the bad stuff. He's seeing the darkness in here. The first instinct is, I got to get out of here. I got to run because if you can see the real me, if I were up here and I was naked this morning, what would I do? I would run because I wouldn't want you to see my nakedness. That's how we respond to God. When we realize that God sees, that God knows, when we come to grips with who we are, what we've done, where we've been, we say, God, where, where can I go? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. David's saying, God, there's nowhere I can go. You see, God knows everything and God's everywhere. God is always with us. He says, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle in the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. 
The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. You see, there's no darkness to God. You can't hide from God, and sometimes we like the darkness. That's the problem with humanity is sometimes we like the darkness. Because here's the thing, when you turn the lights out, you can't see all the flaws and imperfections. You can't see all of the mistakes. You can't see all of the flaws. If you've ever built a house before, one thing I learned years ago, if you take a flashlight and you run it along the sheetrock, you can see every bump and nick and imperfection. So what do you do? You don't do that. Take that sucker away. I don't want everybody to see how bad my sheetrock is, right? That's what we do. We want to stay in the shadows. Sometimes we like that darkness. And the truth is that we can hide from people for a while. For a while, but never from God. We can never hide from God. The biblical concept being taught here is called omnipresence. It's a big word. It just means God is everywhere. He's everywhere. There's nowhere you can go that God isn't already there waiting for you. God's everywhere. And our instinct is to hide our sin. We don't want anyone to see who and what we really are inside. I do it. You do it. We all do it. We all want to put that best image forward. But here, here's the part of human nature is we like to try and cover ourselves. We like to try and cover ourselves. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, it says... The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So it's talking about Adam and Eve and we all know that story, right? God said, don't eat from the tree. But what does Eve want here? Huh? The wisdom. You see, we look at sin as this evil, grotesque thing. Really what sin is, is sin is wanting a good thing but going about it the wrong way. See, sin always starts with a good desire. It always starts with a good motivation. We always start out wanting something good, something healthy, something righteous, something good. But then we go about it the wrong way. We put that thing before God. We disobey God to get that thing because we won't do it God's way. And it says, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. And listen, verse 7... At that moment, their eyes were opened. See, they'd been naked the whole time. But it says, and suddenly, all of a sudden, they felt shame at their nakedness. All of a sudden, they were naked the whole time. But when they violated their conscience, when they violated their relationship with God, even to get a good thing, they felt ashamed. And that's where we end up. That's this driver in life. We go about things. We start out with a good, pure heart. We just want something good. Maybe as a childhood, your parents didn't care for you like they should, or you were picked on, or you didn't have whatever it was, and you just wanted acceptance, or you just wanted love, or you just wanted wholeness. But somewhere along the line, we go about it the wrong way. Sin and corruption enters in. We go about it the wrong way. And listen to what Adam and Eve does here. It says, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. They covered themselves. This is what we do. And why do we do it? Because without Christ, we're powerless to separate ourselves from the things we hate about ourselves. There's things that we, all of us in here, 
there are things we don't like about ourselves. But it's like, have you ever worked on a car and gotten grease on your hands or, you know, eating seafood or something, you know, and you get something on you and you just, you wash your hands, you wash your hands, you just can't get it off. We find ourselves after we sin in a panic going, I can't, I can't get this off of me. And then people come, God comes, and we feel ashamed. And so what do we do? We have to cover it. I have to cover my nakedness. I have to cover myself because if I don't cover myself, you might actually see the real me. And I can't have that. I can't have that. I can't have you. Smokers and drinkers do it all the time, right? They smoke, they drink, they can't cover the odor. So what? They do the mouthwash and they spray cologne. And does it help? No, because when we cover ourselves, all we do is make it worse. All we do is make it worse. We don't have the ability to clean up ourselves. We can't do it. We just make it worse. Listen, when you've been at your very worst, you know God loved you. When you are at your worst moment, God loved you. He was there the whole time. And there's something incredibly encouraging in this. When you were at your worst, and he was there, and he watched you, and he saw you, he didn't leave. See, there's two fears. There's two fears that drive us. One is that people in God won't understand our heart. We're afraid that this thing that I just wanted people to love me, I just wanted people to, to understand me, And now I'm off into this sin. And now if you really see the real me, you're not going to understand my heart. You're just going to judge me. You're not going to love me. You're not going to accept me. You're not going to understand me. And that's where the fear starts. But the deeper part of that fear is very simple. It's that when that happens, here's what we're really afraid of. They will leave. We're afraid they will leave. We're afraid to be alone. That's what being a human's all about. We're all afraid to be alone. But see, God can take that fear away. That's the thing we're trying to cover so badly, is that we're afraid to be alone. We're afraid not to be understood. We're afraid to be rejected. But God will never reject you. If you replace that fear with the truth of God's word, you can finally rest. You can find peace. Why is it so important that we understand this? Because listen, you're never going to find what you're looking for outside of Jesus. Whatever that thing is that you're trying to feel, you just keep putting different keys in the same lock and none of them are going to work you got to go to the lock maker. you got to go to the one who made your heart that knows what will fulfill you, that has the key to bring you wholeness and forgiveness. Only Jesus is that thing you're looking for. Nothing else outside of that is ever going to bring you fulfillment and life and peace. Nothing. And let me tell you real quick, that includes ministry. That went over about like I thought. That includes ministry. That includes family. Family won't fulfill you. Ministry won't fulfill you. 
serving others won't fulfill you. There's a lot of people in hell that served others. There's a lot of empty people in this world that served others. There's a lot of generous people in this world that served others that don't have Jesus in their heart. And they're miserable and they're terrified of being alone. Nothing is going to fulfill you but one thing, and that's Jesus. That's it. That's the only thing. All those things are gifts to enjoy, not idols to serve. They are gifts for us to enjoy by God. Ministry is a gift. Family is a gift. God wants us to enjoy those things. But we can't spend our life pursuing the stuff. We can't pursue the gifts. We have to pursue the giver. We have to have a relationship with Jesus. It's like that movie, National Treasure. I don't know if any of you guys have seen that one. One of my favorites. I love that movie. Me and my family like to watch it. And it's like the dad in that movie. He's so burnout. He's so frazzled, right? I mean, he's hilarious. He's just really given up on life. He's like, I am done. And why? Because he says, every clue just leads to another clue. You know, I'm never going to find the treasure. And that's how most people live their lives. Everything I find, every clue, it just, it just makes me want another clue. And they never find the treasure. That's why everybody's so mad. When you want to go through our society and everybody's divided and everybody hates each other, it's because they're all searching for a treasure they can't find. They're all looking and every clue they find just gives them a little bit of hope. And then they get let down again. And that frustration builds and that frustration builds. And then we had this thing last night. You see this mass shooting. Somebody again killing other people. Hatred in their heart. Frustration. Why? Because they can't find it. They're looking so desperately but they never find it. They never find that hope. Only God's able to complete us, to cleanse us, to guide us through life. Psalms 139, back verse 13, it says, For you, God, you created my inmost beings. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Listen, do you hear him talking about what you do, about what you have? No, he's talking about who you are. God is concerned about who you are, who you're becoming. That's what this is all about. Man, I was woven together. God had intention in me. It says for Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And here's the key. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand when I awake. I am still with you. The key is for us to meditate not on our thoughts, not on our understanding, not on what the world says, but on the thoughts of God. As we meditate on the thoughts of God, He will fill us up with the peace, with the joy that we're looking for. David said, after all this, he said, God, you know me. God, you've never left me. God, you're always present. And God, how precious How precious, how weighty, how beautiful, how important are your thoughts? Oh God, how wonderful are your thoughts? See, as we begin to dwell on the truth of God, man, something begins to build on the inside of us. 
There's a freedom, there's a liberty that comes from dwelling in the presence of God. You see, God knows the you that you have been. God knows the you that you are right now. But even better yet, God knows the you that you can become. God knows the best you and He can pull that out of you. He can form that in you. God has the key to the lock. And as we dwell on His thoughts, when we focus on His thoughts, we can enter into His rest. Listen to this this morning. God's rest. God's rest is enjoying the completeness of who you are in Christ. Listen, when I'm completing Christ, I no longer need to look for anything. I no longer need to strive for your approval. I no longer need to measure up to any standard. I no longer have to meet any bar. I no longer have to do anything because my Father approves of me. He loves me. And I can enter into His rest. Man, that is what the human heart is longing for. I was thinking about this and... It's like a submarine. You know, a submarine has to withstand great pressure. And sometimes in life, man, the deeper you go, the more the pressure squeezes you, doesn't it? Man, it seems like you get past one problem, then another problem comes. You get through one trial, it seems like two more come. And life just seems to squeeze us. But you know, submarines are built pretty tough. And they're pressurized on the inside so that they can go deep and they can withstand the pressure. You see, when I focus on the thoughts of God, when I meditate, when I make His thoughts precious to me, weighty to me, important to me, just like a submarine, I can go deeper and deeper. The pressure can get tighter and tighter. But you know what? There's a pressure on the inside that's greater than the pressure on the outside. I can stand any storm. It doesn't mean the Christian life's going to be easy, but it means, you know what? Things that used to would have knocked me down just bounce off me now like nothing. Not that I'm anything, but the pressure inside me. There's something inside of me that when depression comes, when anxiety comes, I can just laugh. He said, what are you laughing about, man? Everything's on fire around you. I don't know. There's just something inside. There's just a joy. I can't explain it. I don't know where it's coming from. I just know there's something in me. I've got more joy than I've got sadness. I've got more peace than I've got anxiety. Because I'm focusing on the thoughts of my Father. His thoughts are precious. His thoughts are precious. It's not a rest of inactivity. It's not just sitting around. Because we all know being a Christian, it doesn't mean sitting around, does it? Most of us stay pretty busy. It's not inactivity. It's a rest that comes from being exactly who we're made to be. Being at peace with that. I want to finish up today with a final scripture. This is Hebrews chapter 4. In verse 9, it says, So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. Man, I could have just read that and we went home today. Isn't that good? There is a special rest waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. And we know that, like I just said, the Christian life doesn't mean you just sit on your hands, right? But we've rested from our labors. We don't have to strive anymore. I don't have to try to earn it anymore. I don't have to try to measure up anymore. I can rest from those labors because God's rest is in here. His rest is inside me. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. Listen, 
You're not going to find it anywhere outside of Jesus. If you reject Jesus as your Savior, you'll never find this rest. You'll never find it. You'll fall. None of us want that, but God is clear. There's one way. His name is Jesus. It says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. Listen to how similar this is to what we were reading in Psalms. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. God's rest is waiting on you today. Today. Would you stand with me? I want to ask you this morning just to take a moment, bow your head, and close your eyes. And I want you to focus on the words that I'm about to say. I just want you to focus on these words for a moment. Don't think about anything else around you. Listen, God's rest means you can stop striving to be accepted and understood. God's rest means you can have peace, that God knows you completely and loves you passionately. God's rest means you can find purpose, not in what you do, but in who God wants you to become in Christ. And this is the best part. God's rest means you can live in his presence. I want to pray over you real quick. And I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. But I'm going to pray over you first. Father, I just thank you for your peace right now and the rest that you have for every person in this room. I pray they'd receive your rest right now by faith, not by striving, not by earning, not figuring it out in their head, not doing any kind of mental gymnastics, God. Just accepting it, just receiving the fact that you're with them, you know them completely, you've never left them, and your rest is waiting on them right now. How we just receive that by faith. And if you'd like to enter into the rest of God right now, whether you've been a follower of Jesus for 20 years or not, this is for everybody in the room. If you're not walking in that rest, you're striving for acceptance, you're striving for purpose in anything. It could be ministry, it could be family. Whatever it is, if you're striving today, if you're tired, and you want to enter into that rest, I want you to raise your hand up right now. Raise your hand if you want to enter into that rest. Amen. Hands all across the room. Let's enter, in, let's enter into that rest together right now. Just repeat this prayer after me. Say, Father, I'm done. I'm not going to strive. I'm not going to work for acceptance, for approval. You know me. You're with me. And that is enough. In Jesus' name, amen.